This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Hear the word of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we, are, we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother's sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in darkness and wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Psalter in Lord's Day 12. The doctrine of which we consider this morning. On the basis of Scripture that we have read, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12 regarding our confession of the name Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Why is He called Christ? That is, anointed. Because He is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost 
to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who defends and preserves us in that salvation He has purchased for us. And we limit ourselves to the consideration of question and answer 31 this morning. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're called to believe, to have true faith, I remind you that we have seen in the Heidelberg Catechism, especially in Lord's Day 7, that only those who have true faith are saved. Must have this faith, being bound to Jesus Christ, grafted into Him. All those who are saved will have a true knowledge of Jesus. Must not only know God's Word about Him, but the heart must have a trust that assured confidence in Jesus Christ, called to this faith. Last Sunday in Lord's Day 11, we discussed or considered that we must believe in the name Jesus, the true Jesus. A believer believes that Jesus is Jehovah Savior. That's what His name means. Jesus is Jehovah, that is, He is God. He is fully God and also come in the flesh as a man. And this Jesus is a Savior, a Savior not of every single person, but an effectual Savior that is a Savior of His elect people. True believers in Jesus believe that Jesus did not merely make salvation available for everyone, but He makes salvation for His people. He earns it fully for them in all of its aspects, and He works all of that salvation in them. True believers believe that Jesus is a Savior not from earthly hardship, first of all, but from sin. And every believer confesses He is Savior, the only Savior from my sin. And there is none other name We saw last time, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We must be saved by this Jesus and this Jesus only. Today, the Heidelberg Catechism transitions us to consider the second name of Jesus that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, that is, the Christ. True believers not only believe in Jesus, but they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that Jesus? I'm not asking you whether you can say the the name Jesus Christ and confess it like every other nominal, nominal Christian in this world. I believe in Jesus Christ as they take His name in vain. But your heart must believe in Jesus as the Christ. The Christ, with a knowledge of what that means, with a confidence in this Christ. And to show us how important it is that we believe in Jesus as the Christ, turn a couple of chapters from where we read in 1 John 2, verse 22. 1 John 2, verse 22. And there the Apostle John says in the negative this, 1 John 2, verse 22, Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You see, in John's day, there were false teachers who deceptively taught all kinds of false doctrines. Some taught false doctrines regarding Jesus' deity, denying His deity. Some taught false doctrines regarding His humanity, denying His humanity. But some taught false doctrines regarding His office, 
They denied that He was the Christ. And John says sharply against those false teachers and to anyone who rejected this truth that Jesus is the Christ. And anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he says, is a liar. More, he says, such are of the Antichrist. And there John is not saying that he is the Antichrist, the one that will rule as the one man show at the end of time. He's talking about those who are against Christ with hearts like the Antichrist. They deny not only Jesus, the truth of Jesus, but John says in 1 John 2.22, they deny the Father who sent Him. And with Him, of course, implied the Holy Spirit that testifies of Father and Son and especially of Jesus as the Christ. That's the negative, and what we read in 1 John 5, verse 1 is the positive. Here's the importance of believing that Jesus is the Christ. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, 1 John 5, verse 1, is born of God. Here is fundamental. Here is what is fundamental to your faith. That your heart clings to Jesus as the Christ. Consider Him as the Christ this morning, considering the doctrine of Lord's Day 12. Question and answer 31 under the theme, believing Jesus as the Christ, first as title, second, His work, and finally, our faith in Him. The name Christ is Jesus' official title. Remember from last week that Jesus is... His, our Savior's, personal name. The name given to Him when He took on human flesh. The personal name that Joseph and Mary and others around Him called Him day by day. But He didn't only have a personal name, Jesus had a title. He was not just Jesus, but He was Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Children, His title was not Mr., Doctor, Professor, President, or even First Reverend, but His title as our Savior was Christ Jesus. And that might not be so familiar to us because no one else, no one, no one else has this title. Others might have the title of Doctor and Professor and President, but Jesus holds the title of Christ in Him alone. He is Christ Jesus. He is the only Christ. He is the only one with the title. And that we find in that definite article in 1 John 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the only one, is born of God. There is only one Christ. There is not a Christ yet to come, as many unbelieving Jews think. There is only one Christ who has come, and the same Christ who will return to judge. The name Christ is equivalent, as I mentioned before we sang a Psalter number this morning, it's equivalent to the name Messiah. Messiah is the name derived from the Hebrew language, and Christ is the same name translated in the Greek language. It means the same thing. We'll get to the meaning in a few moments. All through the Old Testament, the people of God looked for this Messiah, the Christ, to come, the Son of David, the seed of the woman. And for about 4,000 years, He did not yet come. Many, of course, came as imposters, as frauds. They claimed the title Christ. But their sins and their deaths, and their remains in the grave prove that they could not have been the Messiah. But Christ, the Messiah, came about 2,000 years ago. And in John 1, verse 41, the Gospel of John 1, verse 41, we see Him coming 
And Andrew and the other disciples finding him. And Andrew came, he ran to his brother Simon Peter. And Andrew running to to Simon Peter said to him, We have found, finally, finally we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted as the Christ. And Andrew brings Peter to the Christ. And the other disciples come to Christ. And having gathered around Christ, they sought no other. Because he was the only Messiah. And when Jesus asked them, who do men think that I am? And then follow up that question, remember in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Jesus spoke for the disciples not only back then, but for the disciples today, all believers, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto you. Jesus says, but my Father in heaven. That's the confession of every believer. That's what every heart, the children of God, hold to. This exclusive title, Christ, refers, first of all, to His position, or what we call an office. It's the office, the position of authority. If you think about the title, President, you don't only think about the name, but you think about the office, the position of authority that he has in America. If you think about the title Doctor, you think not only of the name, but you think upon the position, the office of authority that he has to diagnose your problem and to prescribe medications or treatments. And so when you think upon the title Christ, You think not only of the name, children, but you think upon the position, the office that he occupies, an office of authority. In the Old Testament church, there were office office bearers, offices of prophet, priest, and king. In the New Testament, there are offices of minister, elder, and deacon. These are all positions of authority. Their offices like Christ's office. But Christ's office as Christ is above all the Old Testament and New Testament offices and not just above them all, but He is the one who appoints those who have office, especially in the church. And so we can say this morning, He is not just the prophet of prophets and the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the priest of priests, but you must know He is the elder of elders. He is the deacon of deacons. He is the pastor of pastors. All that is in the name Christ, the office bearer, the one above all. And that Christ occupies not only an exclusive position, but the name Christ means that God has chosen and qualified Him for that position. Those two words should immediately come to your mind, children, when you think upon the name Christ. Chosen or ordained and qualified. Jesus didn't just take on this title Himself. At first, God chose Him to take on this title and this office. That's the word ordained in the Heidelberg Catechism. Because He is ordained of God the Father. And that word ordained should bring to your mind a a synonym, another word for ordained, which is elected. He was ordained or elected or chosen. Those are all synonyms. And we know well as Reformed people that God has elected and chosen us unconditionally to save us merely of grace, to bring us to faith and to bring us into eternal life. But election, I've told you before, is not only attributed to us, but God has elected first of all Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's elected Jesus Christ or ordained Jesus Christ from eternity before us. To be this chosen one, this Savior, this Christ. 
1 Peter 2.6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect. He is the elect, the one chosen to be in the position of office bearer above all office bearers. Secondly, God did not only choose him to be such, to have this exclusive office, but he qualified Jesus to take this office. That is, he gave to Jesus, the man, all the power, the ability to do the work in his office. Catechism says, by anointing him, with the Holy Spirit. That's how an office bearer is equipped. And that's how Jesus is equipped, or was equipped and is equipped. He has the Holy Spirit. When? Well, He had the Holy Spirit as a man come upon the womb of the Virgin Mary, so that as soon as He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, we read the, the power of the highest overshadowed Him, Luke 2. He was the anointed one at His conception, anointed by the Spirit, and chosen from eternity to be this Messiah, this Christ. So later on, when Jesus began His public ministry and John the Baptist baptized Jesus, it wasn't at that point that Jesus became anointed. Some people mistake that to mean that it was at His baptism that Jesus was anointed. No, He already was anointed at the moment of His conception. At baptism, Jesus or God publicly displayed, gave a sign to all that this was the anointed one. So that after He was baptized and He came out of the water, we read that there was a voice, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the heavens were open. Remember, children, the Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove to show to all God confirming this is the Christ chosen and qualified by My Spirit to do My work, to be in this office. In the Old Testament times when God chose to display publicly or sometimes privately that He had chosen and qualified someone for an office, you know how He did that. He sent someone like Samuel the prophet with a bottle of oil and that oil was poured upon the head and that oil ran down the skirts of the one who had been anointed. Oil symbolized that Holy Spirit coming upon a man to equip him for a particular office. And that's how we get the name Messiah or Christ. The name Messiah or Christ means the Anointed One. And it gave to the minds of the people the picture of oil coming upon another to symbolize that God had chosen and equipped that very person for a high office. Christ was not an anointed prophet, priest, or king. He was the Christ, the anointed one, to whom every prophet, priest, and king pointed to as weak pictures and dim reflections. And you want to hear the application of this? The application of this is bow. Bow and worship in submission to this Jesus because He is the Christ. The Christ. See, beloved, you respect, although respect is waning in our society, you do. 
you do respect. There are people that you respect in this world. Maybe because of letters behind their name, degrees that they have gained, positions of authority, titles that they have that others give them or they take on themselves, and you have this reverence that comes into your heart. You stand in their presence or you you listen to what they have to say, whether they be a doctor or, or a professor or a reverend, and you give them respect. And in measure, that is good. That is proper. That is necessary. But beloved, how much respect, awe, and reverence is there in our hearts when we approach the Messiah in His house where He reigns, where He speaks to us, where He blesses us with His very presence. What kind of respect and submission do we have as we approach Him? The second point of this sermon is about His work. And many want to talk about His work, and that's important, Jesus' work. But first, the name Christ reveals unto us His position of authority, exalted above all. And many today want to talk about His work, especially how Jesus worked to serve us, to feed us, to save us. And that's proper, that's good, that's necessary. But we must know Jesus, not just as the Savior, but as the Christ. The one with a position above all. The one who must be worshipped. The one who has this title of honor. Place yourself at His feet. Today, every Sunday, every day. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed be He that cometh in the name of the Lord. The application is, you must worship Jesus as the Christ. This only... Christ, ordained and exalted, filled, fills a position of authority, and He did. He did an awesome work in that office. In fact, that's what He was placed in His office for. Not only to receive honor, but to do a work. Compare that for a moment to those who are placed in office. There are plenty of men today who love to talk about their office, the honor, the power, the prestige, the name, the reputation, the authority that they may receive in the office, but they don't really care much about the work. So whether it be in government positions or in church positions, or even as those who take the office and as husbands and fathers, men love the position but not the work. They like all the authority, but none of the responsibility. Not so with Christ. He proved Himself worthy of the position by doing an amazing work as Christ. The name Christ especially points to the work of prophet, priest, and king. We'll begin with the priestly office. That is the work of Jesus Christ that first comes to our mind, though it's not listed first in the Heidelberg Catechism, is the priestly work that is emphasized in Scripture. Who by, the Catechism says, the one sacrifice of His body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. Here in the Catechism, there is explained to us two different priestly works. The work of Christ the priest as a sacrificer, one who sacrifices, and also one who intercedes. He first has sacrificed. That's his work, especially of the past. He has sacrificed himself. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament priest 
would perform that sacrifice when the people went to the temple, they would see the priest take the lamb or the bull or the goat and slit its throat. And they would watch this children. They would watch the blood of the goat pour out of its artery. And that blood would not be spilled on the ground, but it would be collected in the bowls. Much blood. And that blood would be sprinkled upon everything, including upon the people. They would see red. And think about all the blood because multiple bulls, multiple goats, multiple lambs were brought. Blood was before the face of the people as they saw the priestly work. And then, then they saw the altar, the fire. As the priest took the lamb, they took the bull, they took the goat, and they laid it upon the hot coals of the altar. And there was a burning of that lamb and they smelled it. They saw it and they could feel the heat of it. That was the priestly work of sacrifice, all to picture Jesus' work. And when Jesus came as the priest, you see, and He spilled His blood, and He went to the cross, this was the main work He had come to do, the work of the high priest, the highest of priests. And the big difference between His work and the high priest's work was that the high priest merely did the sacrifice, but he was not the sacrifice. When Jesus Christ came, he was both the priest and the sacrifice. He took himself, voluntarily gave of himself to shed his blood, and then placed himself, as it were, upon the altar of the coals of God's holy wrath, much hotter than those coals upon the altar in the Old Testament temple. And he was burned as he faced a consuming fire of God's anger against all of our sins. That was the cross. The work of Christ as the priest and though he had this honorable title, this office, and he has to be respected, he ought to be respected, he humbled himself and became both this priest and sacrifice. Because it was not possible, as Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, that blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It was necessary that one sacrifice do this. Only one that is of Christ. This was atonement. This was for the covering over of the sins of His people that they might be reconciled to the Most High God. And He effectually accomplished it. As we said last time, it had to be for a particular people, elect people, for it to be efficacious, to effectually accomplish it. If it was a sacrifice for the possibility of salvation for everyone, for the covering or atonement for everyone, if He just made it possible then I say to you that that sacrifice on the cross by that high priest was for no one. It was weak. It didn't actually accomplish anything. But that sacrifice by the high priest was a limited atonement. The sacrifice of only His people that were elected in Him from before the foundations of the world so that when He bled his blood. And when he suffered the heat of the coals of God's wrath, he actually accomplished the salvation of all of his people and covered them fully so that they are perfectly righteous in his sight right now, forever. You are to believe in this Jesus as the Christ who is the high priest who has finished atoning covering for the sins of each of His people. 
But we must realize that Christ occupied this office as priest not only 2,000 years ago. He continues as a priest today. And that brings us to the intercessory work of this priest. In the Old Testament, when that priest sacrificed the lamb, the bull, the goat on that altar, his work was not done after that. But he took the coals from beneath that altar. The coals, think about this children, the coals upon which the blood, the lambs and the goats and the bulls had dripped. And so he took the coals and the blood of the lamb with him in a censer, a metal pot, and brought it from the outer court of the temple into the inner chamber. Not just the holy place, but the holy of holies before the Ark of the Covenant. And there the high priest did the work of interceding for the people. He prayed for the people as he placed incense upon that, in that pot, that censer, upon the hot coals with the blood. The smoke of that incense rose up as a symbol of the prayers of the priest on behalf of his people rising up to God. Jesus is that intercessor. He's the fulfillment of that weak picture. He makes continual intercession with the Father for us, the Catechism says. Having died, having accomplished the work to earn forgiveness for His people, Jesus Christ rose again and He entered within the veil into the Holy of Holies, that is, heaven itself. And He prays. And there are many things that He prays for us, beloved. But this is one thing especially that you must know that He prays as the high priest prays. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for my sake. Because of my sacrifice, assure them even today as they gather in my house, though they be plagued with doubt, though Satan tempts them to despair as they think upon all the sins within Make them sure that my finished priestly work of sacrifice is so great that it doth cover them completely and they are perfectly righteous in thy sight. And the people of God know that their high priest prays in heaven on their behalf. And they are sure, you see, with His continuing priestly work of intercession. And the Father doth hear. And He does forgive for Jesus' sake. That's the Gospel of Christ, the High Priest. Christ's work is priest of course, includes other petitions. He prays for us, many other petitions, to send all sorts of blessings upon us. Especially, He prays as our advocate for this forgiveness. Secondly, there is Christ's work as prophet. God chose and qualified Christ to occupy that office to do the work, not only of priest, but prophet. The word prophet literally means to bubble over. To bubble over. So the prophet's work, we often think of the prophet's work as that of speaking to others. And that's true. That's true. But that's not complete. The prophet's work is first of all of receiving, receiving the Word 
and being so full of the Word and the Spirit that having received it, having partaken of that Word, his heart like a cup bubbles over like that pot on the stove that is boiling with water and it bubbles over. It cannot be kept within, so the heart of the prophet bubbles over and spreads everywhere to those around. That's the word prophet. That's what prophets of old did. God filled them with His Word. They had a burden of the Word upon them and they could not but speak it forth. It was like a fire in their bones. They ate that Word or that scroll and they had to speak it even though it was a difficult and bitter word at times. Jesus is the prophet of all prophets. So that when He came upon this earth as the prophet, He was filled with the Word of God. He said, In John 7, verse 16, My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. He took the Word from the Father and all that the Father revealed unto Him. He overflowed and spoke to others, speaking not as the scribes and Pharisees of His day, but as one with authority He did preach. And when he preached, it was described to those who walked with him to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us as we heard him open up the Scriptures unto us and expound to us upon the prophets and the law? That's how he spoke. He preached. He preached. He preached. But he didn't only preach with his mouth. But Jesus as a prophet revealed God with all of His actions, all of His works, His his obedience to the law showed forth God's holiness and the righteousness that would be imputed to us. His miracle showed forth the power of God to save us. Even in His death, He showed the love of God, but also the justice of God. He was revealing God in all of His words, not only, but also His deeds, His actions. He was a prophet who with His whole being showed forth the glory of God. That's why He was not just one who preached a word, but John says in John 1.1, He was the Word. He didn't just reveal light, but He is the light of the world. He is the prophet who both with His word and deeds reflected, revealed God for His glory. He did that in the past. But don't forget, His work continues today. He continues. From heaven above, He preaches. The prophet continues to proclaim His word to reveal Himself and the salvation that God has worked in His counsel. Lord's Day 12, the Heidelberg Catechism actually has a translation that is not quite right. It translates the explanation of the prophetic work of Jesus Christ in the past tense. He has fully revealed. The original is... He is fully revealing. It's in the present tense. He did, yes, in the past, but Jesus continues to speak His Word. He continues to send forth His Spirit of truth so that when we read His Word and devotions, beloved, He speaks to us with His Word by His Spirit. His prophetic work continues when He causes the words of the Psalms that we sing mixed with the music to speak to our heart. And especially, especially when we hear the Word that is preached, That word is explained. Yes, a man speaks. But you are hearing in your heart, he causes the spirit to hear, causes the spirit to work his word in your heart through the preaching so that you hear not merely the word of man, the very voice of Jesus Christ, the prophet. And finally, there's the work of Jesus as the king. The work of the King, the Catechism explains, governs us by His Word and Spirit, who defends and preserves us in that salvation He has purchased for us. 
The catechism is not explicit on this, but the work of the king can be explained with one word called fight. He is the fighting king or the conquering king. Think of King David, children. His work was to conquer, to go forth with his sword, to fight for the sake of his people, to extend his kingdom, to defeat the enemies of his kingdom, to preserve and protect his people. That was King David. And that's what Jesus came to do first. In the past, He came to fight our enemies, not as human beings think of fighting. Not physical enemies, but the spiritual enemies of Satan, death, and sin. Riding upon a donkey's colt, you remember He rode into Jerusalem as that spiritual king, a lowly king, My kingdom is not of this world. To fight a battle against enemies that was far more difficult than David ever fought. To conquer sin. Sin's guilt. Once and for all. To conquer sin's punishment. Hell. Death. And the grave. To conquer the devil. Who is Lord of us by nature? He vanquished, Jesus Christ vanquished death, Satan, and sin for us. He is the King. But as is the case with his priestly and prophetic work, he continues to be the King, the fighting King, not of the past, but also of the present. He has conquered, hasn't he? Your heart. which of itself is opposed to Him and would not believe in Him. He has sweetly and powerfully bent your wills. He has dethroned that old man. So He no longer reigns within you, though He's still there with all of His power. And He has within your heart enthroned a new man, And He rules through that new man so that you might believe and so that you might submit to Him. And He sends forth His Word and Spirit, which is like a sword out of His mouth, Revelation 1, which pierces your heart, convict you of your sin, and to bring you to the cross again and again in true repentance and faith. He takes the heart Yes, He does. He can. Of your loved one who may not be repentant. And He will. For each one of His people turn in true repentance. He is the King that continues to rule, to defend, to preserve His church. He has, hasn't He? In the days of controversy, He will in the days ahead, in the days, the darkest days of Antichrist as they close in upon us. There's so much fear, beloved, there's so much fear in the midst of wars and rumors of wars and evils in the church and all around us. Do not forget the Christ, the King, always King, who governs, who fights, who defends us, His people. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. call you this morning on the basis of God's Word to believe 
The word believe or believeth in the text of 1 John 5.1 is in the present tense, be believing. I've said this before time and time again, and I say it again today. Faith is not a one-time thing in the past, but it's a present tense activity. Be believing. Be believing today in the pew. Be believing tomorrow and day by day that your eye is always upon Jesus the Christ, worshiping before Him out of that faith. Believing Him as your priest, as your prophet, as your king. Be believing. And whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. John is not saying, obviously, that the ones who believe are the ones who gain by their believing this being born of God. That's the Arminian teaching. We speak of being born again as something that we must accomplish. Be born of God by accepting Jesus, by believing in Him. No. You cannot believe in Him unless you are born again. And just as a child cannot be born of his own accord, of his own will, so also you and I cannot be born again of ourselves. The Father, by the power of Christ Jesus, must work in you this regeneration that you might be born again. And then, having been born again, you will believe. You're commanded to believe. But also this, you will believe as you hear His Word. That faith, then, that John speaks of is not of yourself. That faith is not what you depend on. It's upon the Christ, the Christ Jesus that is proclaimed today and who speaks today as a prophet. You believe on Him, on Him alone. He has united Himself to you, His people, given you His life, that you might be born again, and that you might believe. And what John means then is this, those who are believing in Jesus as the Christ, those who are believing that Jesus is the Christ, may know with certainty, you're born again. You're a child of God. He's worked faith in you. And the Spirit testifies to your spirits. You are the children of the Most High God. For Jesus' sake, who is the Christ? Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.